0: Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified. And you're listening to an all-new episode of New Generation Declassified exclusively here on the Japan Power Trip of Wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And every single week, we take a walk back into the old time machine. We head back in that DeLorean. We go back to a glorious era, the era of the mid-'90s, the WWF's New Generation and we open up the files we open up the stories we kind of look back at some of the uh, the finer things that maybe looking through those rose colored glasses of childhood were great to us then they might not be now or some things that we're going to talk about deserve a second look but that's the goal here of new generation declassified what we're going to do today is we're going to start off a a kind of a multiple show series talking about announcers, commentators, and hosts of the new generation. We're going to take it a little bit at a time, step by step. We're not going to hit you over the head with uh, multiple people at once. We're going to kind of uh, ease into the uh, commentators, hosts, and announcers of this era uh, by running down a few of them, pointing out some of their finer, maybe not so finer moments And uh, we're going to do it in a uh, in about two or three episodes worth, uh, depending on how much we can get through in today. And then also next week when we have a special guest come on to go through this list uh, with us. And uh, it should be pretty cool to see uh, what other people think, because I'm going to save some of the more obscure ones for uh, the second part, at least of this uh, this conversation about uh, the announcers, hosts and commentators uh of the new generation era. So before we get started and before we kind of run down today's list, uh I just want to go out of my way to say thank you again to everybody who's been downloading New Generation Declassified and all the comments and all the likes and all the retweets. Uh but I want to specifically mention Matt Wilson who uh had a great suggestion that will be uh taken into effect with this episode. And you will see at the bottom of the description, you'll see some links. You're going to see a couple links uh, to the uh, the 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 promos and to some of the things that I'm talking about here, Uh, because in referencing a lot of stuff in the diesel episode last week, uh, Matt pointed out, hey, there's a lot of stuff you talk about in a short amount of time. And it might be good to have a guide because uh, if you got to run and get the old pad and pen, you might miss something else have to rewind or hit it back 10 seconds or 20 seconds. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to have anything uh, added to your uh, podcast enjoyment. Just sit back and listen. But I will drop some of the uh, links. If I don't do it in the actual description here, maybe I'll drop it in uh, the Twitter feed when I release the episode. That could get a couple more um, uh, eyeballs and might not clutter the, uh, the descriptions of the podcast. I don't want to overdo it um, with what we put in the links uh, or in the descriptions here for the, uh, the podcast episodes because we have so many that we post on a weekly basis here on the uh, the TMPT Empire feed. Um, but it's a great way to kind of put the, uh, the moment with what I'm talking about. And that, to me, is a huge key. And I want to thank Matt Wilson for that suggestion because I think it's great. And I should have been doing it from the start. And that's a uh, that's a discredit to myself. For not thinking of that, because that's perfect, because I watch some of these videos to prepare. Uh, Sometimes I don't. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I do stuff right off the top of my head. I remember it so clearly enough that I can just kind of recite it. Maybe I don't have the day right if I'm not looking at it on paper, but uh, a lot of stuff I can remember um, if watching it, you know, all the way back then, but refreshers never hurt. And uh, specifically for this week, I did actually compile a pretty thorough list of the uh, the, the promos to specific to the person that I want to talk about um, with the, uh, the rundown of these announcers, hosts, and commentators uh, of the new generation era. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in the 80s, you lived for those commentators kind of guiding you through uh each show. Whether it was Gorilla Monsoon, whether it was Jesse the Body Ventura, whether it was Mean Gene Okerlin, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Vince McMahon, then your secondary guys, your Sean Mooney's, Craig DeGeorge, Uh, The kind of side characters that you see in some of the local markets, the Ken Resnick's, the Billy Red Lions of the world. These are the guys that in the Federation years uh, would be key to promotional spots for house shows and television and kind of directing you in the more localized uh, television markets. But in the new generation era where things were a little bit different, it was a little more worldwide now versus it was in the 80s. They still had local specific content. I know in Canada there was a lot of different shows. There was some different uh, stuff recorded um, that as we talk about it a little bit more, uh, we'll see. That even though it was a little different, it kind of was the same model, but just more on the worldwide stage. And if they were going to either redo uh, some promos for different markets, uh, you might not have the same host. You might have somebody filling in. It's an interesting little tale here of the uh, the way the new generation uh, commentators, hosts, and announcers. Their roles were slightly different than they were in the 80s. Yeah, you will we will see some familiar faces and we're going to talk about them but uh, specifically in this episode i want to cover more of like you know the well-known ones the ones that we knew were there uh week in and week out and you know they they obviously added a lot to the table they they were the soundtrack for the actual show they provided uh what we kind of would listen to uh in terms of uh, the, the the voice, the voices with the pictures, but this time, I mean, and compared to today, it, it's apples and oranges because for me, the commentary takes me out. Uh, the backstage hosts uh, or, or interviewers, they take me out of it because they don't feel uh, natural. It doesn't seem like it's uh, got an emotion attached to it. It's very robotic. It's very repetitious. It's very rehearsed. And uh, you know, not to say oh our era was better, but you just see a little bit more of a natural response. Uh, to certain things. And you see these guys that yes, a lot of them did work in territories um, and they kind of, maybe they grit their teeth through there. It just, a lot of it seems a lot more natural. And to me, if you don't have that natural uh, feel to the show's, you get that artificial and that kind of hollow presentation that you get today. Uh, For the most part, since we're speaking in WWE terms, we'll just stick with WWE. I mean, and not to call them out specifically, but just anybody that they've got on television that has gone through the ringer of the performance center and the television training that they have. It's, It just can be monotonous and it's just it's not very good. And, you know, from my experience and working in the television studio at WWE, I just I know that it's all driven in one direction and they want everybody to kind of sound the same and just continue to pound the WWE narrative into your head uh maybe rather than a specific story narrative or maybe they want you to you know remember that this uh, thing is to come later on it's not like that anymore it's just very WWE robotic driven and it's uh it just it comes off to me as very uh unnatural and 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 not very genuine and it might take the viewer out i think that's a big difference between the casual viewer coming back and the uh you know the old school fan coming back they they listen to that and if they're not hearing what they like in 10 seconds They're going to switch. Now I know Michael Cole. He's been there since 1997. He has been uh, WWE eyes and he came in at a time where a lot of those uh, traditional guys were cycled out. Um, Now you see announcers just kind of sound like him where in the 80s and into the 90s, everybody had their own specific kind of uh, tone to them and you knew when somebody was in the chair that wasn't there normally a fill in. Or a special guest. Uh, again, we'll talk about these people as these uh, couple of shows uh, develop because I don't want to. I don't want to name them all in one shot. I want to kind of milk this, and I want to really explore the different roles of the different people because there is a lot of them, and not just the play-by-play or the color commentators, but the backstage announcers, the backstage interviewers, the event center hosts, the uh, slam jam hosts, the live event news hosts. I'm going to try to run down. As many as I can, uh, as humanly possible, uh, from that time period over these next uh, couple of shows. So uh, bear with me again as we as we really, really go back in time and uh, and analyze some things. Uh, first out of the gate, before we even get rolling, we got to talk about the man himself, Vince McMahon, who in this era, you know, was ready to take on the federal government. Was going to miss some some time. He uh, he he obviously wasn't um, going through a great stretch of his life in this time frame, you know, bringing in other outside entities to watch this the the store for him as he uh, was going in in and out of court like crazy over those couple of years. Uh, But Vince McMahon still as the constant of the Monday Night Raw era uh, really helps. Monday night raw get off the ground because when we watched Vince back in the eighties, Vince was primarily the Saturday night's main event and also the superstars uh, commentator Saturday night's main event to me was always a big deal because it wasn't on every month. Maybe it was a, uh, you know, a fill in for Saturday night live uh, if they were preempted or a summertime special when they were in reruns. Uh, but when Vince was on the air, it was a big deal because he kind of just had that, that sound to him. It made it, big it made it just uh, over the top and i uh, don't believe he did any pay-per-views uh, at all except for the television version of the royal rumble in 1988 with jesse ventura that was on the usa network and that to me is it's a lot different which you know i, I gotta tell you i i don't feel as if vince uh, was being missed on any of those pay-per-views back in the day because You know, Gorilla Monsoon was obviously, you know, the top dog. You knew it was a pay per view if Gorilla Monsoon was in the booth. So, with Vince being the boisterous guy that he was, it really wasn't making a big difference if he wasn't on those pay per views uh, at all. And Vince on the play by play, I, I think is grossly, grossly underrated and absolutely not given the due that he should get because, okay, does he know every hold? No, he doesn't. I mean, but th- what are we going to say about that? I mean, the guy is uh, putting pad to pa- uh, pen to pad and coming up with all the ideas and coming up with everything that you're watching. So if he doesn't know all the signature holds or he doesn't know all the uh, you know the transition moves, I don't think that that should be a knock held against him because, again, it's just that big match feel that his voice brought to the table. And a lot of criticism over the years has gone to the fact that Vince McMahon... Was not a good announcer in the eyes of maybe critics, uh, some fans. You know, I know he was. He has been given the uh, worst announcer in wrestling award uh, multiple occasions by certain dirt sheet publications, and I just don't think that that's fair because this was just one part of his game as a play by play announcer and as a host. But one of the things that I think is is grossly missed in this day and age is a guy like Vince being in the middle of the ring for, you know, maybe the mid-show promo or the opening match promo or the opening show promo. And a lot of times throughout the mid-90s, 93, 94, 95, those Monday Night Raws would either open with Vince right at ringside, you know, kind of calling it uh, with Jerry Lawler running down the action or was legitimately in the ring getting ready to interview somebody uh, to start the show. And it made it feel big. Anytime Vince McMahon with that big boisterous uh, sound would call whoever he was uh, calling out to the ring, whether it was the man made in the USA, Lex Luger, or Big Daddy Cool Diesel, or Shawn Michaels, no matter who it was, he he always, always made it just seem so much bigger. And the promo that I can drop in either, like I said, the description or in uh, the Twitter post that I'll have for this show, is a promo introducing Money Incorporated during the Money Incorporated feud with Razor Ramon and the 123 kid. Now, you might not think that that's the top of the card uh, feud at the time because it wasn't. That was in the summer of 93 during all the Yokozuna Lex Luger build. But the way Vince McMahon brings these guys out to the ring, the way he runs down basically the entire feud from top to bottom hitting all the spots and how at SummerSlam, these feuds were going to culminate. Uh, it just took these to another level. It took the million dollar man and IRS split up money, Inc in singles competition at a pay-per-view taking on two separate guys. It made these matches feel like they were important and they were an essential part of, of the show. And does a lot of it have to do with the fact that he's the booker and he's putting these plans in place and he's doing this the way he wants to do it and the way he sees it in his mind? It could be. I think that a lot of it plays into that. Uh, it almost makes you wonder how the hell has he left the commentary booth since 1997 and been a gorilla position, uh, in the spot we all know where he, he's perched today when he had to be at ringside all those years, how the hell did they do anything with him just on a headset and not back there? That, that to me is fascinating, but here he is in the ring with an undercard feud and making it seem like it's this top of the, the card Uber super duper main event feud and it's just you know it's an undercard uh one two three kid and razor against money inc uh feud it's not really a big deal but it's made to be a big deal because of the emphasis placed on a guy by like vince mcmahon and that to me is is the beauty and lost art and now look i mean vince has those quality quality um aspects of him that are very Hostworthy, you know, you could see Vince being in some other realm of entertainment as a host because he's so charismatic, because he's adaptable to certain things. I mean, (laughs) if you want to go and search it out, and you know, I can drop this link in if people really want to see it. I'm not sure if they do, but uh, the old Miller Lite commercials of the 1980s with uh, Vince McMahon uh, and Bob Euchre specifically, they were the Bob Euchre commercials, but Vince McMahon in this Miller Lite commercial he just exudes that same Vince McMahon characteristics that we would see on WWF television week in and week out. But this is in a, in a 32nd beer commercial and he still kind of holds it together. And, you know, and, the, and it's the reveal I'm not Vince McMahon. And it's like, wow, haha, very funny, a different side of a guy like Vince that we didn't get to see in, uh, in the WWF, but he's acting kind of out of character here laughing uh Uh, but also during this era when vince as the figurehead of the wwf would go to memphis we would see him as more of a corner man but we'd see him adapt the heel persona and we just wouldn't see that in his wwf tv character so the fact he's able to to distance you know, owner Vince McMahon, lead face commentator, play-by-play guy Vince McMahon, and become a heel in Memphis. Again, it just shows the range of him as a character, and I just feel he's very underappreciated during this era because he is who he is, and I think Mr. McMahon and the heel Vince McMahon of the late 90s just overshadows a lot of the work he did for so many years i mean if you go back to you know his work from the 70s he was always a competent play-by-play guy i mean it's not like he just stepped in the booth and said hey i could do this better than anybody because i am the owner of the company at that point uh no that's not the case when he was just an announcer for his dad he did so many matches by himself and uh, almost like a prelude to joey styles like he did these matches by himself And just had the same uh, enthusiasm, had the same style, and it worked. It absolutely worked. And you throw in a a partner, you know, (laughs) take your pick. Bobby Heenan, Jerry Lawler, Jim Ross, uh, anybody from that era who sat next to him. uh, Michael Hayes is Doc Hendrick sitting next to him in the booth. They all played off each other well. And I think if we were to pick one, the quintessential partner, for Vince during the 93 to 97 era would be Jerry Lawler. I think that they fit very well together, even at ringside at WrestleMania 10. That could be maybe the pinnacle of their uh, new generation uh, commentating efforts. Uh, SummerSlam 94 is an excellent one as well. Oh, you know what? We can even throw in there, and I'm not going to give away too many names in, in this capacity, but even the 94 Rumble, it's Vince McMahon and Ted DiBiase doing commentary together and they just play off each other so well. And that goes to the strength of not just Vince being the owner of the company, but being the lead play-by-play guy. He just did it the way it was supposed to be done. And I don't think a lot of fans. And again, I always say looking at it from the, you know, 13 year old's eyes. I always enjoyed Vince McMahon looking back through a (laughs) 38 year old's eyes. I still like Vince McMahon. I still would listen to any kind of Vince McMahon commentary. And hey, look, I'll tell you, I was a huge fan of when he came back <laughs> very briefly in the uh, the Jesse the Body Ventura hosted edition of Monday Night Raw from God. It has to be 10 years ago at this point where he donned the tuxedo. He came out one last time and we got Vince on commentary. I love that shit. That to me is the best. He just, he he knows how to take it back. And he sounded professional. He had a little bit more of a gravelly voice, but still it was the Vince McMahon we knew and loved from the, you know, Federation years into the new generation and the early stages of the attitude era. Uh, Really? He hangs up the old microphone in November 97. You know, that's it. He's done. Maybe October. I mean, I know he's at bad blood. 97 where uh, the big red machine Kane makes his debut. But I think that's it. I maybe another raw or two. Um, you know what? No, he did make it up to survivor series because I remember a uh, November, maybe like ninth edition of uh, raw. He was in the commentary booth and you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And when Vince was out of the commentary booth, I think that was a giant loss to uh, the commentary booth. Uh, that's a very, um, easy way to uh, to assess that and uh, do yourself a favor. Check out this promo with money incorporated and see the enthusiasm that Vince McMahon brings to the table, because to me it's absolutely it's off the charts. Um, And he was uh, just as big a factor in a lot of these big stories as anyone else. And, you know, case in point, if you want to go back to an earlier episode of new generation declassified, and we talk about the promo that he did with the macho man, I referenced it last week as well. Uh, the two of them talking about Macho Man's last shot at the WWF title. It's that raw, real emotion that now we know Vince McMahon is the owner. We forgot he was the, the play-by-play guy and the, the babyface commentator. Now we're looking at him as the owner and Macho Man stressing to him it's his last shot to win the, the belt. And we're like, damn, Vince, you're the one who's got to do something about it. And it just shows the range. He can go from one step. Uh, to the next but let's move over to the macho man Randy Savage very well documented that uh, a lot of people did not have um, uh, a a desire to see the macho man as just a commentator the macho man felt he maybe shouldn't have just been a commentator Uh, only two years removed at that point really from a full-time in-ring competitor the champion in 1992 uh, going into Uh, The fall when he drops it to uh, Ric Flair before Ric Flair drops it to Bret Hart. And, you know, by the middle of 94 and the end about November ish again, when he leaves, he had basically wrestled a handful of television matches. He worked a lot of house shows and we're not going to say he didn't work, but on TV, we just knew him as the eccentric color commentator. Now, say what you want. I also think the Macho Man was great in that role. I think he added a lot to those early Monday Night Raw shows, those one-hour television shows that threw a lot at you, uh, weren't that exciting in terms of the matchups, but I think the Macho Man's commentary is so kind of off the wall, you know, you get little uh, glimmers of comedy, you get some uh, things, maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe Macho Man's not paying attention to some of the stories going on, uh, but he worked and he could give you both a heel and a baby face perspective. And although he would lean more towards the babyface, and he would save a baby face here and there from the commentary booth, he would hit the ring after a victory. <laughs> Most memorably, Marty Jannetty beat Shawn Michaels, macho man's the first guy in the ring to, uh, kind of go celebrate with him, but he would kind of lean heel every so often, not all the time but there'd be little things he'd agree with, but not because he was trying to blur the line. It's just because as a commentator, he was able to give both sides of the coin to the viewer who knew, look, we know Macho Man was a good guy we know he was a bad guy and he's also a two-time former champion. So whatever he's saying is, uh, is definitely going to carry some weight and you know, whether it's as a commentator in this role, I mean, there's, there's certain things I would say We could pick I didn't pull a link for the Macho Man because, you know, there's really not much you could say in terms of uh, listen to this Macho Man announcing clip. Uh, Funny enough, and I'm not going to pull this. You could check this out if you want. King of the Ring 94, which is the infamous Art Donovan, uh, King of the Ring 94, where for whatever reason, they decided that uh, NFL great Art Donovan could be in the commentaries uh, booth with Gorilla Monsoon and the Macho Man. The Macho Man ends up having some more of the uh, the funnier moments kind of playing off of Art Donovan's cluelessness to what's going on in the ring. And the funny thing is always with Art Donovan is how much does this guy weigh, or Who is this guy? In? And why is this guy wrestling in a suit? Why is this guy wrestling in this? The Macho Man plays so perfectly off Art Donovan. I wonder if it was a directive by... Kevin Dunn, Vince McMahon to say like, look, this guy's going to say some really ridiculous stuff. So you got to be on top of him to kind of like quell some of those uh, just, I wouldn't say idiotic. I don't want to disrespect the late great Art Donovan, but just like Do you know where you are? Art? I mean, do you know what event this is? Why are you out here? Why did you accept this and say yes? It's one of the funnier things if you can go back and see uh, King of the Ring 94. I can't say it's one thing. It's the whole event. I mean, it's top to bottom, the whole event, and it's it's interesting, but Macho Man plays a great role, and he's an absolute uh, macho king at playing off of some of Art Donovan's ridiculous comments, but Let's look at some of the pairings. If you pair them off with Vince McMahon, I think that that was Macho Man's best uh, pairing him and Vince. And then you throw in, you know, whether it's Jerry Lawler on the superstars or some of the other uh, people, they shift in the Monday Night Raw chair, Bobby Heenan, Rob Bartlett, who we'll talk about on the next show. Uh, these guys also making up the three man booth. I think with Bobby Heenan, it was good, but I got to say, I think maybe strongest with Jerry Lawler, but that was more on superstars. And that was the, the more about the stand-ups. They do a lot of tension building between uh, Savage and Lawler, which, you know, if you're a longtime fan, even at that point, you know there's a history with Savage and Lawler. They don't really allude to it because in outside WWF world, that shit never happened. But just the thought of if we could get Savage, Lawler, in the WWF, that would be huge. But they never pulled the trigger on it. Now, I referenced McMemphis a few minutes ago. It's a big part of McMemphis, the Jerry Lawler and uh, Randy Savage interactions. We will cover McMemphis one day here on New Generation Declassified, but I need the absolute perfect uh, perfect scenario because it is long, and it might be a series of like, if I if I want to do two to three talking about these announcers, that could be like a five, six-part epic because it is so long and it is so good, and you don't want to skip a beat or miss anything having to do uh, with McMemphis, but you see how the beauty of Randy Savage and Jerry Lawler's chemistry going back to uh, the early 1980s, translating it to the mid-'90s as commentators, you could just see they work so perfectly off one another that I would put those three... In the three man booth for Macho Man, maybe not for the whole time frame, that it was best with Lawler, uh, McMahon, and Savage. What a threesome. Huh? What a dream team. And, you know, three absolute uh, legends uh, paired together and not taking anything away from Bobby Heenan, who we'll talk about next. But I just think with Macho Man and Lawler, it worked great. Now, Bobby Heenan. So obviously, we know Bobby Heenan does not stay past uh, November. 1993 he's in WCW by the end of the year but to me he was so good in those early days of Monday Night Raw the the comedy was a little edgier than maybe we'd seen in past years not by much Um, working with Monsoon a little bit they'd end up having more of a feud by the time uh, Heenan departs but Heenan and Vince together is a very underrated duo and their, I would say, pinnacle as a duo is at the 1993 uh, Survivor Series, where, I mean, they just absolutely clicked. And the show itself at the Boston Garden, you know, has its ups and downs. It's where uh, Owen Hart uh, kind of starts to turn on Brett. It's, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Foreign Fanatics and the All Americans. It, it's a great show. I put it as my favorite uh, Survivor Series of that era. Uh, but the two of them work so well off one another. And that show pay-per-view Heenan's really last big show. Oh my gosh. It's just, uh, it's so good that I, I I would absolutely say that Bobby Heenan, although paired with the great gorilla monsoon on so many shows, not in this era, they do the 93 rumble together, which, you know, we can debate whether or not that's a full fledged new generation show. Kind of say it is, but I would say Bobby Heenan's best pay per view as a new generation commentator is that Survivor Series in 1993. But he's also great at SummerSlam. I'm not going to say that SummerSlam being what it was. I still kind of lean towards uh the Survivor Series because hey, back then we only had a couple choices to choose from. You throw in a uh, a, a stellar little uh curveball like King of the Ring that was blowing our minds. But you know your si- SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble. Without a doubt, I got to give it to uh, the Survivor Series of 1993 of uh, Heenan and Vince McMahon paired together. But you want to talk about something to watch here for Bobby Heenan. Absolutely have to point you in the direction of Jim Cornette's debut where you you could go back and forth. You could debate it till the cows come home with any of your friends, fellow wrestling fans, that Bobby Heenan – or Jim Cornette could take the reins as the greatest manager in the history of pro wrestling. In all the interviews we've had with Jim Cornette, we say that he's the greatest of all time. He says Bobby Heenan is the greatest of all time. Really, like I said, flip the coin on who as a manager was better. But Bobby Heenan puts Jim Cornette over so well that, yeah, as fans, we knew who it was. And he wasn't introduced as... Oh, this is from WCW, or this is from the NWA. It was Smoky Mountain Wrestling's Jim uh, Jim Cornette that was debuting on Raw, and Bobby Heenan made it seem like the president came in, the way he just completely uh, put him over like a million bucks and touted him as the greatest mind, touted him as a fashion plate, touted him as so many of the the new age uh, manager of the 90s, and... Cornette then just kind of doubles over says, well, I learned everything that or uh, the greatest manager since you. So something to that effect. And I'll drop that in the, uh, the links as well, because it just shows that somebody like Heenan at that stage of his career is, could make somebody like Cornette seem that much bigger because we all knew who Jim Cornette was. Maybe some people might not have known Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the time. I mean, I knew from reading it in the magazines what it was, but I, <laughs> I had no clue that the WWF was going to uh, then spotlight Smoky Mountain Wrestling talent. But Bobby Heenan making Jim Cornette look as big as he did coming into the WWF was uh, such a graceful. Uh, tip of the cap um, to, you know, the next generation of guys that was going to come in and be a top manager. And of course we know that Jim Cornette would not only be with the heavenly bodies and his smoky mountain wrestling crew, but he'd be the American spokesperson for Yokozuna and really becoming a key part of the Yokozuna act for really the next two and a half to three years. So that introduction by Bobby Heenan being what it was, To me, is huge, and there's a lot of other great Bobby Heenan segments uh, as a commentator, uh, you know, and as the you know the co-hosts of Raw, uh, great stand-ups with him and Vince at ringside before the show starts. Um, (laughs) Really, you want to talk about some kind of comedic aspects? Go back to the first episode of Monday Night Raw where Bobby the Brain Heenan tries to get into the building, and a great Sean Mooney, uh, you know, and Lord Alfred Hayes are the uh, the foils for him just shows his range. He's just a, what an unbelievable uh, showman character, personality, whatever you want to call him, just uh, such a, a, just a asset to uh, wrestling history. And like, (laughs) like you needed me to tell you uh, any of that. And let's just touch on Gorilla Monsoon before we wrap up. This was not the uh, the the end of Gorilla Monsoon, but it was more of the slowing down period for Gorilla Monsoon. We'd see him and hear him on Wrestling Challenge. We'd see him and hear him on some of the other syndicated shows. He would be kind of in some of the Coliseum video releases, not all of them. He would work well with guys like Johnny Polo, aka Raven, when Johnny Polo did some uh, hosting work, and um, just the the tail end of his you know commentating days. Still fantastic. He's still great. He does radio WWF for a little while as well. And just his voice, just as boisterous and as known as it was in the eighties and seventies gorilla monsoon really in a class by himself. And, you know, personally for me, I feel like that's my soundtrack to uh, the WWF is through gorilla monsoon. And uh, just, I I can't say enough good things about uh, what he does And, and little things that I look for, You know, in television production, looking at how WWE, WWF was such a unique place to watch and grow and learning television uh, during the WrestleMania 10 pay-per-view in between the matches. They would kind of call back to uh, past WrestleManias and Gorilla Monsoon does the voiceovers for those uh, little interludes. And it's such a nice tip of the cap by Vince, who's in the commentary booth for this one. This is the first uh WrestleMania where we really don't have Gorilla Monsoon in any ringside capacity because at WrestleMania 9 he'd kind of play so, sort of like a host uh and he was in the full toga the whole 9 yards but him R- Gorilla Monsoon being WrestleMania's 1 through 8 that's a big deal uh at WrestleMania 10 gets to introduce the historical part of the the WrestleMania 10 broadcast and I just think it was a great nod by Vince to Gorilla Monsoon to get his voice on those shows and uh you know introduced those moments that he called at ringside and it was a fitting end to uh the longtime career of gorilla monsoon which you know basically by 1995 he now becomes very sporadic on air he would move into the president of the wwf role in 96 and would be cycled out of the company would fall into not so great health but And this has been great and unearthed uh, uh, all over uh, Twitter over the last few weeks. He randomly popped into some shows in 1999 weeks before he passed away and sounds still like Gorilla Monsoon. I know he had lost a lot of weight before he died, but uh, sounds exactly like how he did uh, you know, and maybe more the the later years of his commentary and, uh, bet a lot of people didn't realize that in 1999 Gorilla Monsoon did some sporadic guest, uh, color work uh, on i believe it was sunday night heat and uh it was on twitter a few weeks back i got a kick out of seeing that because i didn't even know that when you could get me to find out something i didn't know uh it impresses the hell out of me and i saw this and i was like wow that blew my mind uh so very cool but gorilla monsoon again i feel the soundtrack to my wwf uh watching and my wwf fandom is through gorilla so uh i always tip the cap to him because without that voice, you know, maybe I don't get hooked in the way uh, that I do on uh, WWF uh, TV. So we'll kind of cap that at this for part one. We covered Vince. We covered Bobby, the brain, we covered the macho man, and we covered gorilla monsoon next week. Oh, I got a list of names. I got some random people that you won't even remember. Now, that's what I always say every week. My favorite part is the people that say, well, I didn't even watch the show back then, or I didn't know anything about this. And this podcast made me want to go back and check out blah, blah, blah. Oh, I got a lot of blah, blah, blah for you next week with these names that I'm about to pull out of people that had aliases, people that you didn't know uh, were back in the mix under a different name and uh we're going to present them to you and uh we'll have a guest with me next week to discuss this it will be uh, a ton of fun and i implore you to come back so this is part one bookmark it save it commit it to memory i'll drop the two links that i mentioned on you know what i'm going to do it on twitter i'm not going to cloud it inside of the description of this gonna drop it on twitter Matt Wilson, I want to thank you again for that suggestion because this is the uh, the this is going to be the best way to kind of keep track of my uh, ramblings. And these are the two most important things I'm mentioning. And I can ramble, I can ramble with the best of them. Just ask my wife. But without that uh, that little tidbit from Matt Wilson, I wouldn't have thought about it. So again, thank you very much, and thank you for listening. So let's say goodbye uh, for this week. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Chad EB If you want to head on over to our website, it's tmptempire.com. You'll find all the links to the podcast in the TMPT Empire there. If you want to check out me on Francine's Eyes Up Here podcast, it is on Patreon at patreon.com slash francinepodcast. It's also simulcast on Saturdays at the Creative Control Podcasting Network. And for my website, it's ibexclusives.com. I have autograph signings scheduled. I can have uh, anything you want under the sun uh, at your fingertips, as long as it relates to sports memorabilia and autographs at IBExclusives.com. Head on over, check it out. And if you want to send in for something, please do so. We would uh, sincerely appreciate that. And I cannot wait to dig into part two. So many great random names to discuss. A few familiar faces we've kind of touched on here on new generation declassified but we're going to highlight some of their uh, like i said finer maybe not so finer moments uh so for uh myself here the chadster we will see you next week on new generation declassified uh or i would usually say we'll catch you on the flip side thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading